0: Welcome to Life on Pause, a podcast defining the experience of being a young adult with cancer.
1: Each episode, we explore issues impacting young adults in
2: and after treatment.
0: Like what you hear? Have something to add?
2: Come join us for next
3: month's recording, the third Tuesday at 6 p.m. Welcome to this episode of Life on Pause, where we talk about fertility and fertility preservation. Please know that there is a few moments where sound coming from Jamie Obers, the fertility nurse, her sound is not ideal, but stick with it. And generally, it resolves itself pretty quickly. The young adults begin by sharing a vivid moment that they recall from their experience with fertility.
4: I'm Lexi. I am 23 years old, I was diagnosed when I was 19 with uh, lymphoma, and I underwent fertility preservation before I started treatment. So I guess my movie scene would be action. I'm sitting in a clinic room with my dad, and the doctor's explaining to me the process for women for fertility preservation. And the doctor's grabbing a box of tissue, and I'm just crying because I'm delaying my treatment to do this. And the doctor is making it, he's giving me like the worst case scenario of what it'll be like, the hormones every other day, vaginal ultrasounds, and the need to be close to a clinic that I live an hour and 40 minutes away, all before I'm about to start treatment. So that is my strongest memory of this whole process is remembering that initial one-on-one with the doctor and what he told me it was going to be like. And fortunately, I didn't have any of the craziness that he told me to expect. I had a great time during fertility preservation. like It was not bad at all. I had no problem injecting myself with the hormones or anything. The hardest part I think was the day after the extraction because I feel like all my hormones just left my body and I was super depressed, but it was like for one day. And then it didn't bother me going through that whole process and knowing that I have that safeguard because I know other people aren't as fortunate to have that time to start it. And then maybe towards the end I can share the happy memories. (laughs) Yeah. So any questions or if anybody else wants to share a similar experience?
5: My name's Emily. I'm 25 and I was diagnosed at 23 with ovarian cancer, but I also had a similar experience, I guess, in a clinic room. I was totally out of it and like, really wasn't aware of anything that was happening around me but he's like it just like comes out like
2: he's like so you have cancer and I was like I just I threw up and then I started bawling and I was like you mean I'm gonna lose my hair like I wasn't I wasn't concerned about anything else
1: hi I'm Maggie I'm 26 and I was diagnosed with ALL when I was 22 I don't really have like a standout moment about I have lots of standout moments about cancer treatment, but not about fertility preservation specifically, because I feel like I wasn't able to preserve fertility like freeze eggs or anything. So my kind of process with it has been more like gradual things rather than like one
0: defined moment. My name is Bertie Lucas. I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia at age eight, and then I relapsed at age 14. So my initial kind of fertility preservation story was when I relapsed at 14 and the doctor kind of looked at me and said before I got my boomer a transplant that you may already not be able to have kids and you could bank right now or kind of get tested right now before we start the second round of treatment. And then essentially at age 14, I had to make a decision whether or not I was going to do that. So family planning decisions at 14. So I remember sitting at the seventh floor, not really caring as much, I think as a male as well, it wasn't as big of a deal to me at the time, but we'll talk kind of later how it's gradually grown on me a little further, I think.
6: Hi, so my name is Bree. Immediately when we were talking about who we can immediately like think of when it comes to fertility preservation, I can picture myself in the room where I got the final confirmation that I had cancer and that it was stage four, I had lymphoma. And it had taken a really long time for me to get diagnosed. So at that point, that was why I was in stage four. And it was thought that if I didn't start treatment within two weeks, I could be dead. And so my mom and I, we were being walked through all of the different chemotherapies I'd be taking. I had a really intense protocol. And we talked about steroids and we talked about all these different side effects. And then we got to the one where fertility came up and it was sort of just described to me by the nurse practitioner. There was a possibility it could impact my fertility. Probably wouldn't happen. Happens more with guys, but there's no way we can really do what we would normally do and do fertility preservation. Like, There's just no way you can have that done in the time frame that you're on and and considering how much you need to start chemo like tomorrow. But you shouldn't worry about it because it's so it like usually doesn't happen. And so I think a lot of times when people talk about the first conversation they have with their doctors about what chemotherapies they'll be having and what side effects they'll be having, the fertility aspect is kind of glossed over because you're so focused on the immediate impact and losing your hair and how sick you'll be. But ultimately, it's like the fertility aspect is something you have to process later, sometimes when you are in treatment or sometimes when you're recovered. And I think for me, the mental toll of my treatment is something I'm still dealing with now three years later. I was recommended to get my fertility checked, but I have reflected enough to realize that one, I'm still processing a lot of my cancer experience and I'm not in the place where I want to look into that right now. And two, when I do that, I definitely want to be in therapy. So regardless of the outcome, I can talk about it with someone.
2: Hello, I'm Mara. I am a nurse on the pediatric hemonk unit. I've been there for a little over three years. So thank you for having me on here. This is a topic I have been pretty passionate about that Shelly knows. I've talked to her about it just because through my experience with having these conversations with patients, I'd really like to improve our process that we go through on the unit and how we go about talking about fertility preservation, because how some of you have touched on, it's just, it's unfortunate how fast things have to happen when you get the diagnosis. And fertility is kind of probably in the back of your mind when you're being told like the day prior that you have cancer. So I know a lot of times people can get diagnosed and the next day they're starting treatment and there's really not a lot of time to reflect on your fertility preservation. And especially for girls, it's just heartbreaking how there's very limited options for you guys. I am excited to hear all of your experiences and try to figure out some better ways that we can go about this for future patients.
7: All right. Good evening. I am Jamie where I am the infertility nurse at Penn State Hershey Reproductive Endocrinology, where we do all of the egg and sperm cryopreservation, giving them that opportunity to think about fertility in the future, um, which is not something that you typically think about especially when you're young, but it is that it's important and love being able to be there to help um, in any way that we can.
8: I'm Allie. I was diagnosed with lymphoma when I was 19 and I wasn't really given much of an option. So they pretty much said like, okay, we can postpone your treatment, but we don't know how that's going to affect it or, you know, They were kind of nervous about that. So they were kind of just pushing towards, like, "Mm, let's cross our fingers and get you treated, which kind of was, it left me feeling like helpless, kind of like I didn't really have control of the situation. Like I couldn't help myself in a way. And I had my doctor telling me that I could undergo a, I don't exactly know what the shot's called, but it pretty much puts you into menopause and it makes your ovaries less active. But then she also said to me that that, treatment isn't like a hundred percent foolproof. And I didn't really want to go through menopause while going through chemo. So I said no, that I didn't want to do that. So I pretty much just was thrown in to it without, but honestly though, it was like the last thing on my mind. I wasn't really thinking about it. And the only reason I thought about it was because it was brought up to me like, Oh, don't you want to do the fertility preservation? And it was expensive too. So it's like, it was also the expenses were like something to think about. At where it's like not everybody has like the expenses at their disposal, but really the only time I thought about it was kind of when other people would be like, "Well, don't you want to be a mom one day?" It's like, yeah, but I need to live first. So, yeah, that's my story. The
4: cost. I just wanted to tag back on what Allison was saying. My dad works for a pharmaceutical company, so we have like the best health insurance. I think like they they covered every aspect of my treatment, but they did actually cover the fertility thing, which it's very rare for insurances to cover that. It's usually an out-of-pocket thing, but to do a two-week preservation, it cost my insurance over $17,000. So, and then storage, I pay, um, well, four diamonds pays uh, 500 a year um, to keep those babies cold. So it's another big cost on top of how expensive treatment is.
1: Yeah. Also to add to that, like if you can't preserve, but then you need like evaluation afterwards, like, I wasn't able to preserve, but I do have maybe like some fertility, but it's, they can't really measure it without doing procedures that cost like $20,000. So there's also not really support and resources available for that that cover the full cost. So it's like the expenses for it never end.
4: Yeah. I get asked a lot too. If like, they're like, are you fertile? And I was like, I don't know unless I go out there and try to make a baby. So <laughs> like, there's no way for women. I mean, I know Abby, you said they did blood work for you to like measure your hormone levels. But like I guess to test if your actual eggs are viable. I'm not really sure. And maybe Jamie or Mora or Mara can add on to like how that works. But in my case, I've never been talked to about going and having my fertility tested.
7: May I ask which part of that, Lexi, you were were wanting clarification on? Is it the after
4: effects evaluation for fertility afterwards? Yeah. Like if I were If I wanted to know, like, if I was ready to have a baby, which I'm not, but like, let's say like five years, five years from now, like I want to have a child. Would doctors tell me, well, just try first and see what happens or would they test me first? Like, how would that work?
7: Yeah. So typically we uh, cry preserved eggs and sperm, we will usually do some testing first um, because it's not always a guarantee that your treatment will of it. It certainly may. Which is why we present the option of uh, fertility preservation, but it's not. Uh, So, with both men and females, we will have them come in. We'll do it's usually just some standard blood work for females. An AMH level tells us if you do have any uh, eggs still in there. That may still be. We will do a semen analysis to test to see if they have sperm. And then we kind of go from there. So, frozen eggs and the frozen sperm are used. Necessarily as backup if you don't have function after treatment. I've seen patients come back and have absolutely no problem whatsoever after treatment. And then we do also have those that come back who need to, and we have to work with them um, to create embryos and such. So there's a variety of things, but we don't just assume that you're
3: not going to be fertile. Jamie, I'm also wondering if you have any information about this the question of cost for young adults that don't have access to funding through Four Diamonds or other measures, what are options for fertility investigation for them?
7: So as we know, with anyone who is before their 22nd birthday, machine medicals qualify for Four Diamonds for both sperm and egg freezing, which is a fantastic thing. Those afterwards we do our best, um, and some insurances now are starting to cover certain portions of it. We don't get any coverage. With Hershey Medical Center, if you do not qualify for four diamonds, they will. It's one thing that is kind of nice. You're not expected to pay for fertility preservation straight up front. There are programs out there that we use utilize a lot for medications because that tends to be the most expensive, especially in our females. Patients, you know, the gonal pens and the fertility shots. Some of them can be two grand a piece. So there is a a wonderful one that we use that we try to apply for all patients that do not have any coverage to be able to get their medications for free. So give the patients medications at no cost. And we try to get as much of it from them as we can. And it's a little bit, obviously, a little bit easier. I think right now we quote about two grand total for the consult. Three to five collections for our, our men. And then on top of that, there's a storage fee that you pay yearly to the term storage bank. Eggs obviously is obviously more costly because you're taking daily injections, you're going through an egg retrieval, and then all of them as far as freezing the eggs and shipping them to the long term storage as well. So there are some programs out there. I know Mara will be happy to join in on me on this one is time. We really struggle with time the consults to us at reproductive endocrinology fast enough to be able to give the opportunity to patients if it's something that they even want to consider. And I get it that some people young, they don't even consider fertility at 16, 17 years old. So conversation that's tough to have sometimes. But the sooner we are aware that someone needs our service, the better. Because for female, it does take Time. Can't just grow an egg overnight. So we have to have at least two weeks of time. So, our gentlemen, we can work a little bit faster with them.
2: My experience with having these conversations is the timing. It's just awful. So, the kids are usually told, and I'm sure this is a very similar situation to probably all of you have experienced, that you have cancer and probably the next day you're starting treatment. So within that like 24 hours, you and your parents are going through all of, first of all, just wrapping your head around the news that they just told you. And that alone is just too much for somebody to handle. But then we add on to all the treatments, the chemo, how long you're going to be in treatment, the side effects, consents, and they're just in such a rush. And then the next day, you know, we might be giving blood products. There's been times that I like go in and I give platelets, blood, you know, we have to do frequent vital signs with that. And then I have to think in my head, like, okay, when do we have a free time that I can go give this boy this cup and be like, okay, you have so many minutes. And then you have to go down to the OR and you're gonna start your chemo. So it's just awful for you guys. And for the girls, like I said, there's no option for you, really. Like, Lexi, I'm so happy that you had that option. That's awesome. You're the only person I've ever heard of or known that had that option. So that's amazing. But unfortunately, a lot of girls don't even have that option because of the timing. So I also think our process is just very, we need a lot of improvement on it. So the guys, we'll talk to them in front of their parents, but half the time, I'm like, do they want their parents there? Like, this is a really awkward conversation for these boys. Like, do you really want your parents there? And when it comes time to give the sample, it's also like, do you want your parents to know that's what you're doing? Do you want us to make up an excuse that like, they have to go somewhere. And there's just so many aspects to it that I feel like we can improve on. And then the parents have to take the sperm to the hope drive to the lab, which is just, there's so much about it that I just want to change. So it's very interesting hearing all of your inputs for this.
3: Mara, uh, because I think you work in the children's hospital, um, you have a lot of experience asking for young men to, to do this. And so one of the questions I had got beforehand was, what's the earliest age that you're typically starting to talk to patients about? I guess maybe for guys more about the possibility of preserving?
2: The doctors present this to any boy who has hit puberty. So they could be pretty young. They could be like 12 or above. So the younger they are, the more difficult it is to have the conversation because you just have to go through like, what do they know? What are their parents comfortable with? Kind of thing. So
0: I guess to kind of bounce off that, do you think it should be earlier that they at least mention it to the patient that this may be an effect long term?
2: Yeah, so that's actually a question I've asked patients before, because I think that it only gets brought up when they talk to you guys about the consent for the chemo and then talking about the side effects. So I've brainstormed, like, maybe we should have a group of nurses that when we have a new diagnosis, go into the room right away and kind of have the fertility conversation before the doctors even go in there because sometimes the doctors don't get in there for a little because they're making up your roadmap of your treatment and figuring it all out. So I think we probably could do a better job of letting you guys know earlier. So it's kind of in the back of your head to like think about. And then when the doctors bring it up, it's another thing. Maybe you guys could think of questions. the patients could think of questions when the doctors actually bring it up. So yeah, that's definitely something that we could improve on. And Brady, what was your experience with this?
0: I mean, to be completely honest, like I didn't have that great of an experience looking back now. As a younger child, I was eight when I was originally diagnosed. And I mean, obviously that wasn't a thought of mine. And even talking back to my mom now, it was kind of like, and this is how majority of parents feel is they just want their child to survive. They don't really care as much about Long-term effects, so I really think it's up to nurses, doctors, advocates to really push for these extra things to maybe even be in the forefront or at least mentioned. Some when it when I relapsed, obviously there was a very small chance, um, and that really wasn't anywhere near my idea because my survival rate went from eighty percent down to about thirty to fifty percent of living. So I was really just trying to live to see. The following Christmas, I guess, for lack of better terms. And then I did test. So I I tested in college. One of the big reasons was I was starting a relationship. And I think it was to the point of getting more serious. And I wanted to be more upfront, which I think is a whole other hard problem for men that have, you know, obviously they're, I think it's just, and women have the same problem is when you enter a college relationship, you're, a couple months in, you're you're not you're not really talking about children, but then you almost have to accelerate it. So I I got tested, and to be completely honest, the the way I found out was through a text. It wasn't through the doctor calling me. It wasn't through anything like that. And it was only because I checked in and have a very close relationship with my nurse practitioner at the hospital. And even then, I think I didn't realize the magnitude of what that would mean for the rest of my life. And now. Here I am, obviously, and I'm now engaged. And I think thinking long term about what that means for our lives. And I'm very grateful to be here. I think that's the biggest thing, the blessing. But now for all those out there that maybe have a chance at preserving or things like that, that's really, I think, why I share some of my harder story throughout this. So then obviously the processes get improved moving forward. Yeah. For all of you,
3: there is this aftermath of having to have this difficult, kind of unknown weigh on you. I'm wondering if any of you can weigh in um, on that experience.
5: I can pretty much talk on this because it's been like literally within the past few weeks that I've been having these conversations with doctors because I've just gone through with DNA testing and stuff like that. Like if you can even have children, would you pass Would you pass the cancer gene on? Where are your odds of having this and having that and blah, blah, blah. And pretty much they tested my AMH levels. I'm not a doctor, so I don't know the levels. But the way I took it, it's like between like one and three point something is good. And that tests your, I think, A something. And pretty much mine was at, it was like a 1.8. So it was On the lower side. So it's like, it was still at a point where it's like possible, but not very likely. So, pretty much like they said, when you're ready, like go ahead and try, but don't be surprised if nothing happens early on and don't hesitate to come for help. And they're just like, but also save your money. So, and to me, that's kind of like, it's kind of scary to look at. I'm not thinking about having kids personally right now, but. I also have the attitude of like, I don't know, like I care about what they say about my prognosis with stuff. And I like to know things because at this point I'm just like, well, I know all this other crap. So like, I don't know everything else. If it's good or it's bad, I don't know.
4: The boy I am dating, I've been dating since I just finished treatment. So he's very aware of my history, but I use humor and make jokes about it because I was able to go through fertility preservation. So if, if I can't have kids naturally, or the old fashioned way, I have 24 in the freezer. So I always joke that they're going to be great winter athletes. They're going to be like great skiers or snowboarders because they love the cold. So that's how I uh, brace the topic and around family members too.
0: I heard something interesting that Emily said that I, I may a question for everyone, but the fear of passing a cancer genetic trait on to a child, fertility preservation, does anybody have that kind of fear? Or Jamie and Mara, do you hear that ever within patients?
2: So I've only been on the, the unit for a little over three years, so I don't think I've been there long enough to like see that happening. And I, I don't think I've heard of anything like that. I too have not
7: really been approached with that topic of passing anything on. It's not something that usually comes up at that point where, where I come in.
6: My situation is a bit different. So I don't even know if it's truly applicable to your question, Brady. But so I got my, I had cancer because of a medication I was taking for a heart transplant that I had. Um, I was taking immunosuppressants and that's how I ended up having lymphoma. It's very, very rare that it happens. And I cannot harp enough about how great organ donation is. This was just a rare bad thing that happened. But when I'm fearful of, when I think about what my chemo may have done to me fertility wise, I also have, I think 50% of it looming is that whatever heart condition I had that made me meet the transplant originally it was thought that it was caused by a virus and unfortunately my dad had a random heart attack and so and that was only a few years ago after my transplant so this whole time we thought it wasn't something genetic and now it possibly could be so now I have to go through the genetic testing for that when I'm ready and for me now it's like this two-part, thing where it's like, I need to get genetically tested and I need to get my fertility tested. Do I do them at the same time? Because if I have this gene that's going to make my kids need heart transplants, I don't think I want to make them go through that. And that's like really, really hard to think about. Like I don't even know if that's harder to think about than potentially not being able to have kids the natural way. I it's difficult for me to talk about because it's constantly shadow that follows me um, in my head. And I don't know when it'll be the right time to address them, both of them, or if I should do them, do it at separate times. That's sort of my experience. And then sometimes I also think about like, I wonder if the chemo could have done anything to me that potentially affect, aside from my fertility, like affect kids that I could have, but that might be a bigger medical question that's outside of the realm of what we even know
5: I guess the thing that really stuck with me the most throughout the DNA process was for me nothing turned out to be through DNA so it wasn't passed to me through my parents and I wouldn't pass it to kids if I ever had kids they just said stuff just happens and in your case that's what happens so I'm just like so like you're saying like even though it won't be me passing it like in general, I guess it made me feel I guess, I don't it sounds bad to say it made me feel a little bit better. I guess it just made me feel a little bit normaler normal or more normal. That's not even a word. Just like more normal that they're just like, oh, stuff happens. Some Joe Schmo down the road could have a kid and who ends up with cancer who has nothing nothing passed to them through DNA. It doesn't have to be like me or someone else who has gone through this who's gonna pass. It could be really anyone. So I guess it was kind of Reassuring in a way. And I wanted to say, Brie, that like just because
8: you can't have kids the natural way, I don't think that makes you like less of a person. A lot of feelings that I felt during my fertility treat experience was like just feeling like that I wasn't going to be able to be a woman, you know, type of thing. But it's definitely not, it's not like that. You know what I mean? Like you fulfill other destinies in your life and you definitely hold more power than just having kids and stuff like that and especially like we're not ready right now and I feel like it's just something that we not that I you shouldn't worry about it but like taking it one day at a time definitely and working on your working on what you can control I think is important and especially like getting a grasp back on your life after treatment but I do definitely think that it's it's a shame that we don't get the kind of fertility treatment I feel like that we deserve or like the um, information that we deserve before we get the chemo. Honestly, it wouldn't have changed my mind if someone had told me, like, oh, if you get this chemo, you're 100% infertile. It wouldn't have changed my mind about getting the treatment. So I think thinking about that too is important, just knowing that you made it through and it is hard dealing with the repercussions, but I don't want anyone to think that they're less of a person because they can't have kids the natural way.
6: Thank you for saying that. I think that throughout the entirety of my health journey with my heart, with my cancer, um, it's never been that I let either of those conditions make me feel less of a person, woman. I mean, I guess when I had the cancer and I had no hair, that was a whole, yeah, I didn't feel like a woman then. Um, but as far as fertility wise, I know that if I want to be a mother, I can be regardless of if I can have my own kids. I know that there's adoption. I know there's all different options. I think it's sort of grieving, and I'm not even there yet. I don't even know if this is the outcome for me, but if it was, my line of thinking goes down. is like never being able to see myself and my own children, um, never being able to see the person I love the most and myself seeing that in one person, I can't even imagine how incredible that is. That's something hard to think about. And I would imagine anyone who thinks a lot about not being able to have biological children, I think that's the loss that you grieve. It doesn't take away your ability to be an incredible and phenomenal parent at all. It takes away being able to see yourself and your children
8: which I think that's like a total valid thing. Like definitely not selfish at all to feel that way because you do kind of feel like you got, you had something and you got it taken away from you for sure. Definitely does give you that feeling of loss and like mourning your old body along with possibility of that, of losing the fertility definitely.
1: I was just thinking about like cancer is unfair and like the whole fertility Preservation, like whether you can or can't, it's like has so many things in it that aren't fair. Like I know in my case, because of my diagnosis, I had an acute leukemia and I had a spinal tumor. So, like to preserve, most likely would have killed me. So, like that's not the first unfairness. And then like now, I've had my ovarian reserve measured and it's very very low. And most options that I could take with that are kind of like barred to me because of like finances. And that's like unfair. There's just, it's like the same way all of cancer treatment is like things just happen and there's not a reason. And it's hard to cope with the fact that there's like no reason. And there isn't always even necessarily a way to fix it. It's just something you have to process and keep dealing with.
4: I don't know if this is true or a myth, but someone told me like, since I had cancer at the time, they were extracted that they're non-viable. So I can't sell them on like to anyone that, because people yeah. Um, I mean, you guys have a discount. You get them for free. It's the cancer discount. But do people actually sell their eggs? Like, is that a thing? That is a thing. I'm pretty sure.
8: I think you have to like sell them right when you extract them, though. I don't think they can be like training for the Olympics in the freezer like yours. Well, plan foil. So seriously, I have
4: 24 and hope I'm hoping I don't have to be able to use them because that's just going to be a whole nother. I'd have to go through the fertility thing again. So not bad. Not bad. But. Yeah, it's a lot. So let me know because I'd hate to waste them.
0: Thanks for listening to Life on Pause.
4: Ideas or suggestions for future episodes?
1: Feel free to share them with us. Join us for the next recording on the third Tuesday of the month. Until Until next time. time.